just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hope your day is going well. I just want to give you a bit of a heads up. Now, I did the normal podcast for yesterday, and you heard that. But then I did another one later in the day, and this was a podcast with myself and my compatriot, Ed. He's a former colleague in the radio business. I've known him a long time. We uh, match up pretty well in conversation, so we've been doing these extra podcasts with Ed. Now, when I recorded this podcast with Ed, I was in a hurry. We weren't going to do it at first till Friday. And then he said, hey, I can do it right now if you've got time. I said, sure, let's do it right now. So I hooked everything up. I basically do the recording on Zoom. We're old people, so we just take the simplest way. I set it all up. I set my mic up like I would normally set it up. But when I'm dealing with the software, I set the mic to the wrong mic. I have my normal mic, which is what you would normally hear, but I also had a mic on the headset that I was using, a wired headset, the headphones, so I could hear them. So what you get on that recording is a pretty crappy uh, microphone recording of me on that particular podcast. Now, in normal situations, if I was to screw up like that, I would just do it over again. Unfortunately, I wasn't the only one involved. I needed to get Ed Jones back, and he wasn't going to be available to get it back, so I put it together and just put that fucking thing out there. So if you hear a distinct lessening of quality, (laughs) that is why. I won't make that mistake again, I promise you. And uh, if given a chance, I would have done it over to make sure it's right, but we couldn't. Good show. Uh, Ed has a lot of good insights to things. He's a bit older than I am. He's 72. I'm 62. But again, we've known each other a long time, and uh, we have uh, similar mindsets about things, so it's a good conversation. So if you haven't checked out that podcast, I would suggest that you do that. Now, as we get started in this particular Rational Boomer podcast for a Tuesday, of course, I want to check in with the emails. I'm always imploring you to uh, send me an email or a voicemail. And you can do that very easily by sending an email to rationalboomer at gmail.com, or you can go to anchor.fm and uh, leave me a voicemail. Find the Rational Boomer podcast, leave me a voicemail. Uh, as uh, Valina did yesterday, or the yeah, yesterday, I think. And uh, she did the little happy birthday song. It was awesome. Thanks again to Valina for that. But um, <clears throat> I really want you to participate in the program. If you have questions, comments, complaints, recipes, I don't give a fuck. It's nice to have Ed Jones come in, but it's even nicer to hear from the listeners. I hear from the same listeners a lot, and I love that. Keep them coming. But I'd like to hear from some of you folks that haven't written in. Uh, if you don't want it read on on the show, I'm happy to not do that. I could paraphrase the question and respond that way. It doesn't matter. Whatever you want. But please think about it and please participate. So let's get to these two emails before we get into the meat of the show, as it were. This one comes from Jennifer. 
She says, Dang it, I keep forgetting to send you a happy birthday message. I hope it was great. And she sent me this, I don't know if you call it a meme or whatever it is, a picture of Donald Trump and a lot of the things he fucked up on. It was cool. It was cool, and I appreciate it, Jennifer. She says, keep being true to who you are. It's refreshing. (laughs) Well, thank you, Jennifer. Now, Jennifer is the one that always sends these uh, elongated hashtags, and, of course, she has some in this particular email. Hashtag getting old isn't that bad. Well, Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. I'll be honest with you, I have no no uh, desire to go back in time and relive my earlier life. I know what comes ahead, and life isn't easy. I've gotten through all those things. Now I'm looking for life to be a little easier, and it is now. So going back and experiencing that those kinds of things doesn't really excite me. Uh, next up, hashtag birthdays with grands are great. Uh, she's talking about grandkids, of course, and uh, on my birthday, I spent time with my my two sons, my daughter-in-law, my wife, and my two grandkids, and you are absolutely right. My two favorite people in the world are my grandkids. They are awesome. I love them, and uh, I always look forward to spending as much time with them as I can. Next up is hashtag Rational Boomer. Thank you for the press. Um, Hashtag let's make getting old fun. I agree with you there. Getting old has its uh, downside, but it can be fun too. You have a lot more freedom than you had when you were younger and had kids and a job and all the responsibilities. To now be able to sit down every day and my job being doing TikToks and, and a podcast That is fun. And then doing some traveling with my wife and just getting out and doing stuff. It does get more fun when you get older. So if you're fearful of growing old, don't. There's a lot of upside to getting old. And hashtag birthdays are just numbers. I agree. I know a lot of people that are my age that act a lot older than they should. I sometimes think and people have accused me of acting younger than I am. I don't look younger than I am, but I do act younger. And it's all about how you think, the perception of the world, perception of life, and your own self-perception. I know I'm old. I know I'm 62 years old, but that doesn't mean I have to be sitting on a couch vegetating. I want to be doing things. If I've got 20 years of life left, I want to live every minute of it. And that is signed by Jennifer. So, Jennifer, thank you very much for the email. Keep them coming. And let's get to uh, some of the news of the day. And there's some interesting stuff. A federal mask mandate for airlines and public transportation has been in effect for some time. The mandate was set to expire on April 18th, which was yesterday. But the CDC then came out and extended it uh, for a couple more weeks until May 3rd. The CDC said, let's be safe, rather be safe than sorry. But hold on a minute. A federal judge in Florida struck down that extension. The mandate is done. And uh, theoretically, it means you can go on a plane, you can go on a bus, you can go in public transportation and not wear the mask because that federal judge uh, struck down that mandate. It's no longer a thing at this point, at least for the moment. 
Now, what's interesting to note is who this judge is. She is a federal judge. Her name is Catherine Kimball Mizell. Now, Mizell was appointed by Donald Trump. Oh, big surprise. Before Trump's appointment, she was an associate in the firm uh, she worked in. Uh, She wasn't a partner. She wasn't quite an intern, but she was somewhere between an intern and a partner. So she wasn't really a established or or a lawyer with any kind of track record. The big thing she had going for her, um, uh, she was a member of the Federalist Group, and she was kind of cute. So I'm sure Donald Trump said, yeah, let's get that girl. She's, she's, she's all right. Now, the fact of the matter is she's only 33 years old and has never, ever tried a case. And here we are with a nomination to the federal bench. Um, That is a lifetime job. This woman has never tried a case. She was nothing more than an associate in her law firm. And she's given an appointment as a federal judge for life. Now, when she was a nominee, she was rated by the National Bar Association. And they deemed her unqualified. But it didn't matter. Donald Trump wanted her. The Republicans were willing to put her in. No Democrat voted for her. So we have this federal judge in Florida who has virtually no experience, is 33 years old, and is going to be judging uh, cases uh, for another 50 years, 45 years at least. That is fucking appalling. Now, still, Donald Trump uh, appointed her to this lifetime job. Judge Mizell, however, not only feels qualified to be a judge, she seems to think she has a, uh, a qualification to delve into health care and to second-guess the CDC in concerns of health. Now, this, of course, could be appealed, and it may be appealed, but since it's just two weeks out, they may just let that go. I mean, what's the point? By the time you appeal it, the two weeks are up and it would have been off anyway. But there may be some things they need to address in putting this um, judge in her place. As much as she has a lifetime job, she has to be accountable. Now, the reason she came out was just shit she spewed out. She had no sources for her information. She was just touting what she thought was the case with masks and why they weren't effective. That's very typical of Donald Trump. Just say shit. Don't have any verification of it. Don't have any sources. It came out of my mouth, so it must be the fucking gospel. And that's how this woman is. It might be because of her uh, immaturity. It might be because she's part of the Federalist Society, which Donald Trump loves, and she's a fucking Trumplefuck. Frankly, that's who she is. And that's where we have to really look at this and understand that who we vote for makes a difference. Donald Trump is out in four years, but uh, this judge, Catherine Kimball Mizell, is theoretically going to be a judge for the rest of her life, and she's only 33 years old. How many things are she going to fuck up? How many things are she going to just spew about with no facts and no sources? I think it's 
kind of troubling to imagine that. She's not the only one that wasn't qualified that was appointed by Donald Trump. Now, keep in mind, the airlines and the public transportation entities can still enforce mask requirements. Just because the mandate is no longer in existence, for now anyway, these companies, these private companies can say, yeah, that's well and good, but if you're going to fly on our airplanes, you're going to need to wear a mask. Now, this is going to upset people, you know. All these Trumplefucks are going to come to the counter at uh, various airlines. And I say this with a little bit of experience because, as I've told you, my my wife took a part-time job with an airline, and she deals with a lot of people that don't want to wear a mask. Now, these people will come to the airline, and should the airline want and insist on they wearing a mask, they'll say, I have a constitutional right not to wear a mask. Well, no, you don't. Private organizations, private companies can decide the rules for their company. I've said this before. I'll say it again. You ever walk into one of the convenience stores and there's a sign on the door that says no shirt, no shoes, no service? Yeah, they can dictate how you dress or how you are when you come into their business. That's as good for a convenience store as it is an airline, as it is for a bus company or whatever. Now, many of them may just say, okay, don't wear the mask. It's too much hassle, and it's caused us all kinds of problems. But there will be some, like maybe Delta, that says, no, you're still wearing the mask till May 3rd. And people will be upset, thinking that this mandate being taken off is law now, and they can't make you wear the mask. Well, they'll be terribly disappointed when they come across these companies that decide, yeah, you still have to uh, wear the mask. This is going to be interesting to see how this plays out. It's going to be interesting to see if they appeal it. By the time the appeal gets done, though, it'll be well past the two weeks. We'll be past May 3rd. And then the question is whether it's even worth the time. Unless they're trying to do something with this judge and put her in her place. And that's a political thing, and that may be something that they do. Now, we're talking about shitty lawyers with Catherine Kimball Mizell, who is now a federal judge, to a preeminent lawyer and a Harvard Law professor, an accomplished guy. He's won 35 cases in the Supreme Court. You've seen him on TV for a long time. His name is Lawrence Tribe, and he had an interesting idea when we're talking about the Russia-Ukraine war. At this moment, at this moment in time, Russia has close to $100 billion parked in this country. It's not uncommon for countries like Russia to put money in America for trade and all that sort of thing. Well, that $100 billion the United States has already frozen for their acts in Ukraine. They've frozen that money. Russia cannot access that money, and that's why they're on the verge of default. And they're in trouble. That's a whole nother situation. Now, given the war crimes and atrocities Russia has committed in the last 60 days of this war, it's not likely that Russia will ever see that money again. It's frozen, and theoretically, when things are frozen, they can be unfrozen and given back. 
that isn't likely to happen, at least according to uh, Lawrence Tribe. For all intents and purposes, it will just sit until they decide what to do with it. So Lawrence Tribe is suggesting that the U.S. government unfreeze the $100 billion and then give it all to Ukraine to use in their battle against Russia. <laughs> well, that's kind of poetic justice, isn't it? We'll, uh, and will certainly anger and embarrass Vladimir Putin, which is what we love to do. Tribe says there are no rules or laws they have to change or alter. It's completely in the purview of the U.S. government to do this. It is frozen. They can unfreeze it. And they theoretically can do whatever they want with it. But the smart thing would be to hand it over to Ukraine and let Ukraine use Russia's money, their own money, to fight against them. That would be absolutely wonderful. So does that mean that they are going to do this tomorrow? Probably not. It's not likely. The U.S. government doesn't move that fast. But ultimately, I believe they will do it. I mean, why the hell not? Why the hell not? They can do the same thing with houses and yachts and property of the oligarchs that they've uh, seized. It's just a matter of it'll take a little while to get it done. And, of course, uh, President Zelensky has said over and over again that we need the money today. And they're right. You know, we're seeing Russia ramp up their attacks on eastern Ukraine in the Donbass region. They didn't have a lot of luck in greater Ukraine they did a lot of damage. They killed a lot of people, and they're still bombing around Kiev and some of the uh, Lviv and uh, some of the other areas. But they're focusing on Donbass. They want to take that over. Vladimir Putin is having conniption fits because nothing is going like he expected. He thought and he was told that he could go in in three days, wrap this bitch up. Well, we're 60 days in, or close to it, and he's not taken over one major city. Granted, he's decimated Mariupol, but it's still not taken by Russia. And that is a little bit of an embarrassment for uh, Vladimir Putin. So now they're focusing on eastern Ukraine, the Donbass region. They're hoping against hope that they can concentrate the area get a win there, and then Vladimir Putin can back out and say, it was a success. This is what we wanted to do the whole time. We're a winner. Problem is, is that uh, the Ukrainians aren't giving up shit. They aren't, going to, uh, they aren't going to give up in this fight. And right now, America and some of the other uh, uh, um, European countries are now uh, feeding them a lot of money and a lot of bigger equipment, howitzers, and those sorts of things. So there's going to be a fight. And from what Zelensky has said yesterday, that uh, attack has already started on eastern Ukraine. So they're going to need these weapons quickly, and they're going to need to fight hard to maintain this. The only question is, is once it's done, once it's over, and if Vladimir Putin doesn't take the Donbass region, he is going to be flustered, he is going to be embarrassed, and he's going to be angry. Then the question is, what will he do then? Will he resort to chemical weapons or nuclear weapons or what have you? We don't know this. But the Ukrainians are going to fight consistently. 
They're not going to give up anything, and it is going to be bloody over the next couple of weeks with what's going on in eastern Ukraine. All right, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. You know, we sit and watch what's going on in Ukraine with the Russian invasion and the war and such. And it's easy to sit in our armchairs and say, wow, that's terrible, and then go have a sandwich. We can't really know how bad it is, how devastating, how traumatic it is for these people. But can you imagine? I mean, you've got a town in Kiev, which is about the size of Chicago. We've got a country that has 40 million people in it. People are being killed. Women and children are being tortured and raped. Uh, Cities are being destroyed. Everywhere they turn, they can't get water. They can't get food. Can you imagine a civilized country or even a civilized city having to go through something like that? You have to believe that would never happen in America. And to be honest with you, uh, Ukraine is more like America than it is Russia. It was a fledgling democratic society. They were trying to get out from underneath the influence of Russia. And the important thing to remember is they th- you think this war started 60 days ago or thereabouts, and that's not true. There's been kind of constant fighting going on in the Donbass region uh, for eight years. Ukraine has, have to, has had to deal with the attacks from Russia for eight years. And it's got to be a very depressing thing for this country. But yet they still find it in themselves to fight back, fight hard, and hold these people off. When you see the video on television, I want you to look at it a little differently. It's easy for us to separate ourselves from this, say we'll never be in those situations, and maybe not really feel the pain that is going on in Ukraine. But we have to know that it is horrific. We're talking about atrocities. We're talking about war crimes. And we must be sensitive to this sort of thing. Because if we allow this to happen in Ukraine, then it's going to happen in other places. And it may be a long way off, but theoretically it could happen in our own home country. It doesn't help that we have politicians and the Republicans that are... uh, looking for an authoritarian government, a dictatorship. This is what they want. And if they are successful in getting that, that's going to open up a lot of violence in this country. As much as they want the authoritarian government, there are going to be a lot of people, the left-leaning people, that are going to be angry about this. And then we are going to see violence. And then the prediction of a civil war that the Republicans made... That's conceivable under those conditions. And we have to be aware of that. You know, all my life living in America, you would see things happening all over the world. Some very tragic, some very horrific things happening all over the world. And in my mind, I would always say, yeah, but that's not going to happen here. It's sad for them, but I have my life. I have my country. I'll be okay. But we have to understand that everything in this country is different than any time we've ever seen it. Nothing in history even comes close to this. Yes, we had trials and tribulations in the 60s. And in some ways, it was tougher and harder in the 60s. 
but at least in the 60s we didn't have somebody trying to overthrow the government and have such a foothold on one of the parties in this country. In the 60s, the Republicans and the Democrats fought, certainly. Democrats wanted out of the Vietnam War. Republicans wanted to continue it for the same reasons we want it now. Republicans saw the money in war, and they kept it going, even though now, in retrospect, we see that Vietnam was an ill-advised war. It should have been nothing that we'd ever gotten involved in. In fact, if John F. Kennedy had lived, we probably wouldn't have been in Vietnam. Then you get Johnson in, and uh, he slowly but surely puts us in the midst of it, and now we're stuck, and we don't get out until Richard Nixon pulls us out. And people want to complain about how we pulled out of Afghanistan. Look at some of the videos about when we pulled out of Vietnam. We didn't win that war. We lost that war. And when we pulled out, it was a much different situation, a much more tragic situation than even Afghanistan. They had helicopters landing on roofs of buildings trying to get people out while under fire. You want to talk about a shit show. When Vietnam was ended and we were leaving, it was a far bigger shit show than anything we saw in Afghanistan. It's really easy to forget about those things, but we need to remember history, or as they say, we are doomed to repeat it. And we are already repeating a lot of things. So when you see Ukraine, even though they are a distant land, you have to be compassionate here. Because there will be other people that will suffer the same consequences. And hopefully this isn't the case, but uh, if things continue the way we see them going with some of the Republican attitudes, we could ultimately see it here. We could see the left fighting the right. Now, the right is never going to get into a civil war because uh, Donald Trump didn't get voted in. They don't have the courage. They don't have the guts. But if we get another authoritarian president and they start doing the things that we see they can do, don't put it past the liberals. Don't put it past the left to want to fight. And to be perfectly honest with you, in those circumstances, they'd be well in their rights to fight. The patriots at the Capitol were talking about saving America. They weren't saving shit except their own egos. But if things go south with our government, turn to an authoritarian bent, these people on the left will see it as truly trying to save America because we're no longer a democracy. That's when the fighting could start. And that's something you need to keep in mind, whether you be Democrat or Republican, but especially the Republicans. You want what you want because you want it, not because it's right, not because it's true, because you want to win. That's well and good. But if you do win, what could come as far as consequences, you may not want to see. You got to look beyond the end of your nose because things could get very ugly in this country, if you allow it to go that way. Now, I've said that I don't believe that Donald Trump will run for president in 2024, and I stand by that. I really don't think he will. He may be incapable of running for president, whether it be because of legal reasons or even health issues. I mean, have you seen Donald Trump lately? He doesn't look all that healthy. 
And it's hard to imagine, when you eat those many Big Macs and Diet Cokes, you would think he'd be doing pretty good. I mean, he is, what, 76 years old right now? By 2024, he's going to be 78. (laughs) Didn't the Republicans tell us Joe Biden at 78 running for president was too old? But yet they want Donald Trump at 78 in 2024. Now, there's going to be a lot coming to light in the next two years. I've talked about this. A lot of evidence will be revealed concerning the insurrection and how people in Congress were involved and how Donald Trump was involved. We've already seen some evidence with the text going to and coming from Mark Meadows, his chief of staff. It's there. The evidence is there. And with all of that coming out, it's conceivable that Donald Trump could be indicted. That would be a problem for him wanting to run in 2024. Now, if Trump is found guilty of the Presidential Records Act, you know what he was doing there. He was destroying official White House records. He was burning it, shredding it, tearing it, stuffing it down the toilet, maybe even eating that shit. Yeah, he was destroying White House records. And he also stole White House records, brought them down to Mar-a-Lago. And we're talking about classified records and top secret records. The facts are there. He is, in fact, guilty of that. Whether he'll be indicted, prosecuted, and found guilty, who knows? But he should be, because clearly he's guilty. Now, the thing with the Presidential Records Act, if he is found guilty of that, one of the punishments, the absolute punishments in that kind of conviction is that he cannot run for any elected office ever again. Now, that's a fairly small crime, He won't get a lot of time if he gets any time at all. But it's worth pursuing that one thing in spite of the fact that it's so small just to take him out of the equation for 2024 or any other elected office. And that may be a route they go. It's tough to prosecute a president for big crimes. It's unprecedented. It's never happened. So they don't know for sure where they're headed and what's going to happen when they do. But this presidential records thing is so blatant and so in your face and relatively minor speaking as far as punishments may be the way to go. The one way to take him out of the equation for 2024. Now, with all the evidence coming out, and uh, his endorsements of candidates. Here's the deal. He's endorsing a lot of candidates, but we don't know how much success he'll have. You'll remember he endorsed uh, um, um, Purdue and uh, Kelly Loeffler for the Senate seats in Georgia. Well, he lost there. That lost him a certain amount of credibility, I guess. I'm thinking that when 2022 happens, if the people he endorsed, and as I said in the previous podcast, uh, the Republicans aren't really excited about his endorsements because he's endorsing the crazy fuckers. He's endorsing Herschel Walker, Dr. Oz, J.D. Vance. You know, here's an interesting thing about J.D. Vance. In 2016, J.D. Vance wrote something, tweeted it or something, and he said, you know, Donald Trump could be America's Hitler. (laughs) But now he's endorsed by Donald Trump, and he couldn't speak better of Donald Trump. 
These people have no credibility, no integrity. They just want to win elections. And I'll be honest, if J.D. Vance, Herschel Walker, or Dr. Oz wins an election, I will be fucking amazed. I hope they are the candidates that run against the Democrats because they are crazy. And Mitch McConnell isn't feeling it. He understands the problem with these people running. But here's the thing. Say the people that Donald Trump doesn't endorse, say they don't in, win their uh, their elections. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I don't see Republicans even wanting Donald Trump as the candidate. You know, it's a very cutthroat world in politics. What have you done for me lately? If you've got something that you can bring to the table, whether it be money or votes or exposure or whatever. They love you. You're their savior. But when you become useless or even detrimental or um, diminish the Republican Party, they're fucking done with you. They'll throw you away like yesterday's garbage. And that's what's ultimately going to happen to Donald Trump. And if he can't produce anything positive, the Republicans are not going to want to have him as the candidate. So here's my question. Who will be the Republican candidate for president in 2024? Well, it could be any number of crazy fucks, of course, which would be a good thing for the Democratic Party. As I said yesterday, Donald Trump may very well be a godsend for the Democratic Party. He does nothing but fail. His uh, cachet is falling off the table. Nobody's coming to his rallies. He's not as strong as he once was. And with all the evidence coming out, it's likely to get worse. It's not going to get stronger. But the Republicans are going to have to find somebody to run in 2024. And who might that be? As I say, it could be any crazy fuck. It could be Marjorie Taylor Greene, for all we fucking know, or some stupid Republican senator. That is unless the Republicans realize the mistake they've made with Donald Trump. He's lost some races for him. He screwed up the midterms for him, and now they want to step away from him. And then they realize they are left with this shit show of the last five years, and their Republican Party is falling apart at the seams. So who would be a good candidate for them? Now, you might say Liz Cheney. I know there's a lot of Democrats love Liz Cheney because she was honest and got onto the January 6th commission, and she spoke badly of Donald Trump. But if you're a Democrat, I will tell you right now, you do not want Liz Cheney. She's an ultra-conservative and against everything you are interested in and stand for. And I don't think it will be Liz Cheney. I think the likely prospect for the Republican Party, if they want to regain integrity and credibility, would be Adam Kinzinger. Now, he's a young guy. He's a good-looking guy. He's 44. He's leaving the House of Representatives in January of 2023. His term is up in November during the uh, midterms. And they split apart his his uh, district 
and now he has to run against another incumbent. He's got very tired of this Republican bullshit. I mean, like Liz Cheney, he stood up to Donald Trump. He stood up to the Republicans, and he, as well as Liz Cheney, got censored. He could maybe run for governor of, of, of his state or a senator. That's a possibility. But if the Republicans really want to regain some credibility, they might look at him as president. Now, he is basically a moderate. And, and as a moderate, um, he's a little better than Liz Cheney. But I'll be honest with you, I would never vote for him. He's a Republican. He is moderate, so if we had to have a Republican, he would be the guy. He obviously has some credibility, he has some integrity, so if it had to be a Republican, I'd be happy it's him. We may not get the things we're looking for, but at least we know he's honest, and that's a rare commodity in the politics business these days. So what's ultimately going to happen? Who really fucking knows? Nobody really knows what's going to happen with this because... Well, you don't know what the Republicans are going to do. Are they going to stick with the crazy bullshit, the uh, insurrectionist, authoritarian idea? Or will they have to walk away from it because everything fell apart between now and the midterms? I'm guessing the midterms aren't going to go well for them. And I know that there's a lot of people who disagree with me, but fuck you, I don't care. I'm taking a look at the situation and, and, and deciding the best I can with what I know. If you disagree with me, you disagree with me. That's fine. But if the midterms go bad, they got to make some changes, and they're going to see that their party's fallen apart. So they've got to somehow cobble it back together. And the only way to do that is to get a presidential candidate that brings them back to where they once were, or better than where they once were. And at this point, the only Republican candidate I can imagine is Adam Kinzinger. Now, as far as the Democrats go, I don't believe it's going to be Joe Biden either. I think he's too old. I think he knows he's too old. I don't think he had any plans of running. I'm not sure Kamala Harris has the clout yet to win a presidential election unless something happens in the next couple of years. The one guy, the two guys I like right now, and I don't know enough about them to say they'd be absolute um, possibilities, uh, would be, well, there's actually three people. Eric Swalwell, he's a good speaker. He's a Democrat. He's legit. He's got credibility. Tim Ryan of Ohio. I like this guy. He speaks out. He speaks his mind. And I like Katie Porter. Katie Porter is a brilliant woman. And she is a tough woman. And she would be an excellent president. I even see AOC as a possible presidential candidate at some point down the road, but she's not old enough yet. (laughs) She's not old enough at all, so she's not going to be in the mix in 2024. It's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out in 2024, but I'm saying Donald Trump won't be in the mix, and neither will Joe Biden. Here's something crazy to think about. Do you realize that there are still Trumplifucks that are attempting to still decertify the 2020 presidential election. This is happening in Wisconsin, Arizona, Georgia, and Michigan. After all the recounts, all the lost lawsuits, the cyber ninjas audits, the attempts by fake electors, and the fact that not one shred of evidence has ever been shown, these dipshits are still 
trying to decertify the 2020 election and get Donald Trump reinstated into the White House. Well, this is absolutely ridiculous. It's not going to happen, but they still continue. This is an epic illustration of a completely delusional group of humans. It's something more than stupid. It is the essence of a cult and people that just can't wrap their minds around truth or logic. It, it is stupid, but it's deeper than that. Now, there's no way that they can accomplish this goal. It's just not going to happen. <clears throat> They've tried over and over and over again, and they failed at every turn. <clears throat> Excuse me. It can't be done. It won't happen. Maybe they even know this won't happen. It's rather disturbing to realize that there is a fairly large faction of people that will fight endlessly to push a false narrative, and in the process, willingness to try to destroy individuals in their efforts. For example, trying to convince people that Katanji Brown Jackson was soft on child porn. Complete lie. There's no evidence of it. They just jumped all over it. But child porn and or pedophilia seems to be the Republicans' go-to, which is ironic considering the people recently that we've seen arrested in child sex crimes are Republicans. We are seeing this being done to cabinet nominees. People trying to get appointed to simple cabinet jobs in the Biden administration. Not big names, not big jobs. But every one of them is being taken to task. Lies are being spread about them in order to stop these people, these nominees, from being confirmed. Now, people have wondered, where is this coming from? How is this all happening? There's got to be a source of this information as far as uh, these fake uh, news stories, these lies about these people. It's got to come from a source. And you know what? It does. It comes from a source by the name of American Accountability Foundation. Now, they say this is a nonprofit, but they're a little sketchy. They're spending a lot of money, but the question is, where are they getting their money? Well, we know a fairly large amount of the money that they got come directly from a PAC owned by Donald Trump. Oh, there's a big surprise. It sounds like they're getting a lot of dark money from other less-than-ethical benefactors. It's ironic. These group, this group generates lies, conspiracy theories, and just bullshit. They create reports, and then they feed those reports to Republicans, members of the House, members of the Senate, to help them pass bills, shut down bills by Democrats, slander Democratic nominees, among other things. So you've got this group of people who claim to be an accountability foundation, and they're coming up and generating all these lies, conspiracy theories, and bullshit, and then they're feeding it back to the Republicans. They call themselves American Accountability Foundation and claim to be a nonprofit. The fact of the matter is, these people are little more than a Republican troll farm. 
They've got these people working on every conspiracy theory, every fake news story, every lie they can. They put it on paper, put a name to it, American Accountability Foundation, as if it's legitimate and it's credible, gives it to their representatives in the House and the Senate, and then they use that to sell their narrative. It's absolutely disgusting. We've got people that are being slandered and taken to task and beaten up verbally for no reason other than the Republicans want to own the Democrats. They want to shut down every nominee. You see, it goes back to what I was saying before. We put people in the House and the Senate to govern to get things done for this country and for the people who elected them. Democrats are trying hard to do that, but they find it difficult because Republicans want to block them at every turn. So the Republicans are little more than obstructionists, and they don't want to get anything done. They don't have any platform. They don't have any policy. They have no plans to do anything. Remember when Donald Trump came in and said, we got to get rid of... uh, Obamacare, but we've got a plan to replace it. Well, that was going on six years ago, and we still have yet to see any plan for health care by the Republicans. They want to take away Obamacare, but they have no plans and no strategy and no idea how to replace it. So who loses in that situation? Democrats, Republicans, no, we fucking lose. And this goes back to why I've always said, don't look at this as a fight between Democrats and Republicans. It's really not. Democrats have their problems too. In the big scheme of things right now, you have to look at it as such. We're using the Democrats to beat the Republicans because the Republicans are anti-American. We've got to get that done. But in the end... The fight is truly against us, against them, Democrats and Republicans. We've got to somehow get them to do their job to serve us and to serve this country. And for decades, they've avoided it. They fed the rich. The rich has then fed them with morsels in their pockets, and we end up holding the bag. Let's get the Republicans done by way of the Democrats. But once that's done, we can't stop. We've got to keep focusing on the prize, if you will. And that prize is getting politicians to actually do the job they're elected for and paid for and serving the public, serving the middle class, and serving this country. All right, we're going to wrap things up for the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you very much for spending the time you spend with me. I appreciate it immensely. You have a great day. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.